Chapter 3 Act 2 Spread your wings, a high place, and all the kingdoms of the world. Leaving Tatfield is a sad affair. We wouldn't have to, Crowley reminds Aziraphale for the third or fourth time that morning alone. He's got Noodle wrapped possessively about his neck, drifting down his arms. She's been clingy since he broke the news to her. Aziraphale hums distantly, eyes on the windows leading out to the backyard, watching them in the boughs of the ash apple tree. They brought a pirate flag and tied it up in the rafters of the treehouse, letting it flow in the breeze. There's more out there, the angel says. I don't think innocence is enough to be going on with long term, is it? Crowley sighs. I don't know, Angel. No, nor do I. And isn't that just the problem? Leaving Tadfield is difficult, but wrapping up their loose ends proves shockingly simple once they get the ball rolling. It won't do, will it, to just leave it sitting? Aziraphale prompts, uncertainly. They need access to the yard and someone has to look after Noodle besides. Crowley prods one of his bonsai trees with a finger and mutters something cross at it. He looks over to the angel sitting on the couch and shrugs. No, I suppose not. What do you have in mind? Tadfield is a cosy sort of place, but the them are hardly its only children. Greasy Johnson and his gang alone number a good half-dozen, and Adam's class in school has nearly thirty students. They consult Adam and the rest first. Adam and Pepper trade a look. Brian and Wensleydale keep their eyes on the grown-ups, thoughtful and quiet. I suspect it could be all right, Adam admits slowly. Long as everybody shares properly and that. They will, Pepper replies darkly. Or I'll show them. No biting, Wensleydale reminds her quickly. That's in the rules. The rules? Aziraphale asks smiling the same soft, obliging smile he wears nearly constantly around the children now. Well, the proper rec center has rules, doesn't it? No running round the pool and those things. We haven't got a pool. Could we get a pool, Mr. C? Crowley pinches the bridge of his nose, not even caring that doing so dislodges the lenses over his closed eyes. Angel, inches and miles, honestly. That will be up to you and the new coordinator, I should think, Brian. Aziraphale says, warmly. Pepper puffs out her chest, proud. My mum'll get us a pool if we ask her, Brian. At least a kiddie one. I'm sure Miss Peterson will certainly consider it, Aziraphale agrees. Remind her, Pepper, that if she finds herself in needs of the funds, all she needs to do is call the number we left, all right? Aziraphale had been relieved, in a way, to discover that Pepper's mother's surname was not, in fact, Moonchild but he did feel that Pepper Peterson was a trouble of its own. The number in question goes to Crowley's mobile, a boxy, squealing thing that the demon only tends to flash around for show. At least now it has an actual purpose. Transforming the cottage and its property into a small recreational center for the village's children had been Aziraphale's idea, but Crowley's demonic sense of management, the devil is in the details after all, makes it truly viable. With Pepper's mother hired on as the coordinator and a well-vetted group of older kids, gawky, boisterous teens whom even Adam had declared cool, conscripted to conduct the day-to-day -day supervision, the planned schedule for the space comes about with relative ease. And Noodle? Pepper had asked the moment the idea had first been made clear to her. Comes with the building, 
Crowley assures her. Putting you and one of the older kids on noodle duty. Every day, you better check in. I'll know if you won't. He won't, actually, but the threat is hardly necessary regardless. Pepper loves noodle. Your mother has free reign to expand the property if she likes. We've bought the lot over in case. It's amazing, really, how much a few old, dusty books can go in for in the modern market. Crowley had argued and bullied, insistent that Aziraphale would be unhappy about it later on, but the angel had ignored him. They're just things, and he doesn't care about them. Their last day, the angel and demon stand in the grass and bid the them goodbye, one by one. Where are you going? Adam asks of them, curiously. Have you decided? Aziraphale looks to Crowley, also curious of the answer. Crowley shrugs. Oh, we'll find our way, I expect. I've got some ideas. Brian frowns, thoughtfully. You'll visit, right? That's what people do, don't they, when they leave? Brian's never been outside of Tatfield. He's never known anyone who left it, either. At least, no one actually important to him. Granted, that list of people is quite small. I'm sure we can manage that, Aziraphale promises. He reaches out a hand to Brian and shakes the boy's hand briskly. Mind yourself now. Don't shirk on your studies. Brian mumbles something noncommittal. Wensleydale pushes his heavy glasses up his nose. Don't worry, he says to Aziraphale brightly. Brian and I are gonna work together this year. I'm going to be a tutor. Crowley smirks at the obvious reverence and awe in the boy's voice. And me and Adam are gonna learn how to draw blueprints. Pepper breaks in determinately. Cause we want to tear out the far wall of the cottage and put in a big kitchen and places to sit and the like. Adam shrugs under Crowley's raised brows. Sometimes kids got parents what are at work real late. Figured we could set up some sort of chow line like. Except the teens will have to do most of it cause none of us are allowed to turn on the stove. Brian explains, rather wistfully. Says you, Pepper argues. I make my own eggs every morning, scrambled and everything. Before the conversation can progress into an argument, likely a violent one, Aziraphale tucks at Crowley's hand. We should be going. Crowley nods. He looks the kids over with a keen eye. Don't be too good, he advises. But don't get into more trouble than you can handle either. And then they leave Tedfield behind. Aziraphale is vaguely surprised when Crowley stops the Bentley after barely more than 20 minutes pulling her into the lot of what looks to be a large storage center. What are you doing? I've made up my mind, Crowley says. I know where I want to go, and the Bentley won't get us there. So you're parking her? Aziraphale asks, skeptical. Crowley, my dear, you haven't let this thing out of your sight since you first acquired it. She'll be fine. We could at least take her back to London. The man here says he'll do that. I've paid him well enough, and he'll get the rest after he's done it. Stop worrying about my car. I'm not worried, Aziraphale says, because he's not. His reclaimed innocence is a step in the right direction, but it's affected him enough only to ease something empty in his heart. His emotional range is still truncated, and more than often he's simply out of his depth and faintly confused. Crowley leaving his precious car behind is certainly confusing. They vacate the vehicle, 
Crowley chats with the man for a few minutes while Aziraphale perches against the Bentley, keeping his eyes on his feet. Come on, Angel, we should walk off a ways. We're walking from now on? No. Aziraphale follows the demon. There's not much else he can do. They walk down the road about a half mile until Crowley tucks the angel over by his sleeve to stand along the fence stretched round a vast grassy pasture. There's cows standing deeper in and Aziraphale watches them, curious. We're not here for the cows, Crowley tells him, amused. Why are we then? Crowley looks away, cluing Aziraphale in that the demon is feeling unsure of himself. You know that I'll go along with what you feel is best, dear. Crowley sighs, rubbing a hand through his hair. No pressure. Aziraphale just stares at him placidly. Crowley huffs a breath through the space where he had honestly expected some sort of reassurance. But no, of course not. Your wings are up to snuff again. I figured maybe we could fly for a while. Aziraphale considers this. All right. That's it, huh? All right. Aziraphale smiles at him wanly. Tell me what the arguments are, if you're so keen to have one. I don't want to argue. I just want you to be... I want you to have opinions, thoughts, concerns. Aziraphale looks down, picking idly at an already fraying patch on his shirt sleeve. Crowley's hand grasps his fingers, tugging them back. Sorry, the demon says, though he sounds more resigned than apologetic. Would it please you to fly? The angel asks, brushing the apology aside. Um, I guess so. It's been about as long for me as it has for you. Longer, actually, if we count your stunt with the treehouse. But you'd enjoy it. Yeah, I suspect. Can't go as fast as the Bentley, but you also can't beat the view. So let's fly, Aziraphale says, lifting a shoulder. Yeah. Crowley breathes out. Yeah, all right. Their wings make a soft, unpresuming rustling as they expand. Crowley's feathers are sleek and as perfectly in place as his hair. Aziraphale's need a good tending to, but that's just angels for you. Always glancing just a step aside from the dreaded sin of pride. Crowley snaps at the angel. Come here. I won't hover around behind you, but let me see your wings. I want to make sure the primaries are good enough to make the trip. Aziraphale stretches out one wing and then the other, allowing the demon to bend them as needed to get a good view. Satisfactory, dear? They'll serve, Crowley agrees with a smirk. Ratty as they are. Aziraphale merely tilts his head at the demon in reply. Crowley gives his own wings a few hard flaps, disrupting the dust under their feet, causing the grasses of the pasture to blow. Hmm, like riding a bike, is it, do you think? It wasn't so bad for me. Good. All right, then. What's the phrase? Up, up and away. Aziraphale snacks Crowley's hand in his own the minute they're both airborne and steady. Fred, you'll lose me? Crowley teases. Afraid you'll get clever and start doing barrel rolls, Aziraphale replies with a grin. And then I'd have to chase after you. Innocence blazing through like a spotlight in the dark. Crowley squeezes the angel's fingers and lets go, immediately falling into a whooping freefall and a loud, 
Tag, you're it. The demon swoops up into the air with the opening of his wings, soaring high above a blanketing of fluffy clouds, causing their vaporous forms to explode into tiny wisps. Aziraphale follows after him, nearly managing to grab him by the heel before the demon banks sharply aside and dives out over the expanse of remaining clouds, skimming fingers through it as if through the surface of a still lake. Aziraphale shifts himself up, flying just over Crowley's speeding form, the tips of the demon's wings close enough to touch. Crowley, unable to see the angel above him, calls out his name in confusion. Aziraphale folds his wings back and falls with all the force that gravity provides onto Crowley's back, looping his arms and legs around the demon's torso and feet, laughing at the rough UGH the demon says in his shock. Crowley, quick on the uptake, turns all his weight to one side, rolling them in their freefall so that Aziraphale is between him and the ever-approaching ground. You're going to get us discorporated, Crowley accuses, shouting over the loud rush of air in their ears. The demon snaps his wings out in the air, catching at it like a parachute, slowing their mad descent. Aziraphale just clings more tightly to Crowley's body, still laughing as the demon frantically flaps his wings until they are properly airborne again. Let go of me, you child. You're too heavy. I am not. You're just out of shape. Crowley gives his wings a hard thrust, throwing them up high into the air, up over the clouds again. If you're going to be lazy, at least shift up. You're dead weight like this. Aziraphale folds his wings in entirely, until they disappear. He does as bidden and climbs up so that his arms loop around the demon's neck and his legs fold around his hips. Crowley wraps his arms around the angel, taking on more of his body weight. Much better, the demon remarks as he pulls his wings down hard a few times, rocketing them up until all they can see below their feet is a thick, white expanse of clouds. Heaven had views like this. Crowley remarks, staring down. It still does, Aziraphale assures him. At least, I should think. Crowley's arms tighten and release in a quick hug. Do you miss it? I don't think I can answer that question right now. Crowley nods. But I doubt it, my dear. Really, once you've seen the tops of a few clouds, you've seen them all. Crowley grins at him. Is that a hint? Well... Aziraphale says placidly. You could go higher. What, up into the stratosphere? It's not as if we need to breathe. Crowley makes a face. No, but I don't fancy going too high. It gets cold, you know. Poor snake, so cold-blooded, Aziraphale says, in obviously mock sympathy. Angel, any minute now you're going to try to double-dog dare me, and I won't stand for it. Aziraphale just grins at him. Spoilsport! They were a bad influence on you. I've decided. I'm sending letters to their mothers. Aziraphale relaxes his hold on Crowley and lets go entirely, furling out his own wings again and keeping pace with Crowley in the thin air. The people were still sacrificing on their high places, because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Aziraphale recounts, gazing down at the expanse below. Their high places weren't nearly this high, Crowley argues. Places of worship elevated by the hands of humankind, ever so slightly closer to the place where God is. 
Crowley tilts his head up. That's not where it is, and you know it. Aziraphale smiles softly. No, but I can understand why they thought so. Can't you? And then the angel lurches forward, wings faltering as Aziraphale tucks himself up protectively over his chest. Crowley grabs him under the arms, keeping the angel aloft while also pulling his face back to avoid getting bashed by the angel's feathers. Aziraphale! It's a familiar twinge. It had hit him before, a few times, in Tedfield. When Wensleydale had gone all pale at the mention of Noodle's venom, and Aziraphale had snapped at Crowley at the sight of the boy's distress. When Brian had come to their door, uncertain of his welcome, asking if he might come in for dinner, and apologizing about the lateness of the hour, and Aziraphale had promptly let him in. When Pepper had said she loved her mother, and Aziraphale had felt that tender, precious affection radiating in her eyes. It's all right, Aziraphale manages as the stabbing, warm sensation ebbs. He pushes Crowley gently back and tosses his wings out properly again, keeping himself afloat. It's gone. Let's go down again, Crowley says, and Aziraphale follows him. I know this place, Aziraphale remarks as they land, unseen, on the rocky ground. Crowley lands beside him and immediately starts to fidget from foot to foot. He has his hands in his trouser pockets and looks distinctly uneasy. Yeah, figured you'd likely been once or twice. It's Mount Athos, Aziraphale says, surprised. He looks over at the demon. It is, quite literally, holy ground. Crowley shrugs. Bit of a sting. I'm all right. Why are we here? Because it was nearby, mostly. But also, you can't argue it's a spectacular view. They stand in the Simonopetra, one of the many monasteries of the mount. The building sits on the very edge of a high, rocky cliff, the water churning against the stones far below and away. The last time I was here was before the fire, Aziraphale remarks. Which one? Pretty sure there were two. The most recent one, I expect. It looks different. Mm-hmm. Time tends to do that. Fires, too. Where is everyone? Aziraphale asks, looking around. Big drop in numbers. Not as many men interested these days in being monks. Aziraphale nods. It's beautiful. Crowley shrugs. It's as good a place as any for a pit stop. I wanted to make sure you're all right. I am. It was just a flicker of something. Can you still fly? Otherwise we're probably going to have to do a bit of hiking down. Aziraphale takes a last look around the pale stone and the wood beams and the sharp natural rock. You'd never make it in those shoes, Aziraphale says, glancing pointedly at Crowley's snakeskin-shot feet. Crowley raises a brow and casts a similarly speculative eye at Aziraphale's loafers. High places, Crowley remarks as he throws out his wings. And all the kingdoms of the world, Aziraphale replies thoughtfully. Would that really have been so tempting, do you think? I certainly wouldn't want them. Think of the paperwork. Not to mention all the mileage going to and fro, Crowley says as they take to the air in a rustle of feathers. Aziraphale accepts what is given to him entirely out of instinct. 
Crowley smiles at him over the top of his shades. Not what you expected, I take it. Aziraphale hums softly, non-committal. He peers down at the book Crowley has handed him. It's a battered paperback, a copy of The Mixed-Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. It is, based on the cover art and the blurb on the back, a children's chapter book. Aziraphale opens the front cover and runs a thumb lightly over the many rows of date stamps and signatures on the back. My dear, I have learned that I can't expect much of anything where you're concerned. Oh, that's a good one, you should check it out, a voice says, startling the angel and the demon both. The library page grins at them with more warmth than pure customer service requires. She's a short, fat woman with light brown skin and smiling eyes. A lanyard, in blue, hangs around her neck, marking her as a page. The name on the placard is Jeanette. Oh, I... I haven't a card, Aziraphale tells her apologetically. Oh, that's all right, I can get you one. Do you have proof of address? Crawley nudges just slightly between the exuberant woman and the angel. We don't live here, he says. Jeanette just nods. Kind of thought not, considering the accents and all. Well, all right. Between you and me, nobody minds if you just sit down and read it. We've got lots of comfortable places to sit for an hour or two. Just don't go putting it back yourself, please. We use the pulled ones to keep user stats. Have to prove ourselves to the taxpayers, you know? Crowley shoots an amused glance at Aziraphale, who has taken to gripping the book tightly in self-defense. That's good advice. Crowley continues to intercede. Thanks. Jeanette beams at him and goes off on her way, pulling a full book cart along like a dog on a leash. Why are we here? Aziraphale asks in a low whisper once she's out of earshot. You like Canada, Crowley counters with a smirk. It's Inuvik, Aziraphale counters. That's Canada. It's practically Arctic. You hate the cold. I don't understand it. Crowley grins at him, rocking back on his heels a bit. What? Aziraphale demands. You get especially prissy when you're anxious, Crowley reminds him. Haven't seen you get like this in a while. Do you think something else has come back while I wasn't looking? Aziraphale sniffs at him. Not that I'm aware of. I think you're just so exceedingly irritating that I can't help it. Crowley laughs too loudly. Curious eyes glance their way. Why are we here? Aziraphale repeats. It's a library. Crowley says innocently. You like those. Aziraphale considers this. I suppose I must. But even I know this is hardly a library. It's a tiny tin building in the middle of nowhere. Not grand enough for you. Suppose we could have gone to the British Library, but you've been. And the Library of Congress was on the table. I scrapped it because of the Americans. You've been to all the big ones and the important ones already, I'd imagine. I thought this might be a comfortable change of pace. Greatest hits? All the kingdoms of the world, Crowley reminds. He gestures broadly at the shelves of books. Where else can you find that, these days, all in one place, if not a library? Aziraphale smiles. They spend the rest of the day there. Aziraphale curls up on an overstuffed couch and opens the children's book Crowley had handed him before. 
Crowley stalks through the stacks and around the various areas of the library. He circles around the two computers especially. They're brand new and, having come by when she saw him looking, Jeanette seems very proud of them. The kids mostly use them to play Oregon Trail, but they work well for word processing too. We've got all kinds of people coming in lately to use them. Had a nice young lady in yesterday who spent a few hours on it. She said she's working on a romance novel and her typewriter recently broke, so she came here. Imagine that. Wave of the future, Crowley drawls. Jeanette is apparently impervious to his cynicism. She just nods, still beaming. So what are you and your friend doing way out here? You don't seem like the hunting sort. Most of our tourists, that's what they want, shoot at some moose and climb around some snowdrifts they think are mountains. We're definitely not hunting. Not for moose, anyway. They're much larger than most outsiders expect, Jeanette informs him cheerfully. They used to be even bigger, Crowley confides with a smirk. Crowley has his eyes on Aziraphale even as he talks to Jeanette. He goes tense and Jeanette follows his line of sight. Oh, that's just Regina. She's around here a lot. She helps us make our display boards. Going to art college someday, she says. I've got a daughter about her age, Sandy. I'll be lucky if that girl goes to any sort of college at all, Jeanette sighs. Crowley starts to move forward, but Jeanette stops him. They're all right. Regina's a nice girl. Crowley allows himself to be deterred. Aziraphale looks content enough, his fingers marking his place in his book as he chats with Regina. When Regina gestures to the couch and Aziraphale moves over to let her sit on the opposite end, however, Crowley mutters a farewell to Jeanette and approaches them in rapid strides. Jeanette may see a normal human girl. Crowley can see that, too, until he tilts his head, just so, and then he can see beneath the skin, can see her hollow socket eyes and her gleaming, gold-plated teeth, bare as her skull and fleshless hands. Santa Muerta looks up from where she perches on the far end of the couch. She tilts her head back at the demon to flash her ever-present teeth in a grin. White knight, she comments dryly. Well, no, I suppose not. Aziraphale relaxes as Crowley comes up from behind him to his side. The demon hovers there, uncertain what to do. Angel? Santa Muerta, underneath the human guise, wears Regina's outfit. A bright yellow blouse and a pair of pale denim overalls. They are cuffed extravagantly at the bottoms, revealing a flash of pink socks with lace trim under her black buckle shoes. She crosses her bony legs over each other and rests her thin hands on her knees. You don't need to be alarmed, the ex-saint promises. I've only come to say hello. Her empty eyes turn to Aziraphale, accusatory. You haven't visited me lately. I've never meant to visit you in the first place, Aziraphale argues. You just show up. Santa Muerta nods her skull, conceding the point. You've said hello then. You can go now, Crowley says pointedly. She ignores him and tucks her bone fingers into the large pocket on the front of her overalls. From the pocket, she pulls something out and hands it to Aziraphale. Letting his book fall shut, Aziraphale cups his hands and takes what she gives him. All his cut-up primaries, bound together in a thin purple ribbon. Thank you? Aziraphale asks, baffled. Why? 
It's not a gift or a return, Santa Muerta interrupts. I do not provide either. It is instead a payment made up front. Payment for what? Crowley demands. A small trinket, she says, speaking to Aziraphale only. Something you are hardly missing. Something that, once returned to you, I would like passed along to me. Forget it, Crowley says sharply. Aziraphale. What do you want? Aziraphale interrupts, also ignoring the demon. Crowley makes a sound of total frustration, throwing up his hands. None of the patrons look up. They are still and silent, locked in time. Santa Muerta reaches out to the angel. She touches her fingertips over his hair and he, unconsciously, leans into the touch. You aren't missing it, she repeats. You gave it away so freely before. You can do that again. What is it? Aziraphale presses, stilling her fingers in his hair by loosely grabbing at the joint of her wrist. She tilts her head down against his ear, whispering, Your faith. What did I tell you? What did I say? You shouldn't have ever made a deal with her in the first place. Dealing with pagans. She's a denounced saint, Aziraphale says, with a rather strong sense of déjà vu. They are standing in the small men's bathroom in the Inovic library, whispering in tight, urgent voices. For all they know, Santa Muerta lingers just outside the door. For all they know, she can hear them regardless of where she is. Crowley makes a sharp, angry noise. She's not God's dammit, angel! You'd think you of anybody would know better about doing thorough research. I did! Santa Muerta sent several books, most of them published by the Catholic Church, rallying against the attention paid upon her by the congregations. She's a death figure, part of folk Catholicism, very popular in Mexico. She's especially lauded by criminals and other shady sorts unable to bring their petitions straight to God. Sort of a backdoor saint. She's not a death figure. She's the death figure. She has more than one name, Angel. Aziraphale frowns. He hadn't found any evidence of that in his materials. If he had, he would have cross-referenced his work, of course. Other names? The angel asks, brows drawn. Crowley groans, throwing his head back with the motions as if the sound travels right up from his feet. Yeah, the dead woman. Make the kakiwatl for one. Morta for another, the goddess of death for the Aztecs and the Romans, respectively. Not of the underworld, angel. Of, of the act of dying itself. Pagan deals. Oh, Aziraphale says, thoughtfully. Well, that does rather explain her range, doesn't it? Angel! You said it yourself. Terrible things could be done with my feathers in the wrong hands. Don't we want them back? The value isn't even close to comparable, Crowley hisses. You're an angel. You can't just give your faith over. Bad enough you've lost your faith in God in the first place. Even worse if you go believing in in, in false idols. Aziraphale raises a brow at him. 
Yes, I know. Big talk from the demon. I see the irony. You know it was never like that for me. Aziraphale pats his shoulder a few times. I know, dear. You can't make this deal. You know, it assumes that I'll ever get my faith back at all. I might not. And then she'd never have it. And she wouldn't be able to use my feathers for anything in the meantime either, just in case. Crowley stares at him. Are you... what are you up to? I'm not sure yet, Aziraphale admits. I wasn't expecting any of this to happen. But it wouldn't be so bad, would it? To just leave that one well enough alone, wherever it is. You're an angel, Crowley repeats. You're a demon, Aziraphale replies flatly. You seem to do all right. Crowley swallows. I... I never lost it, angel. Aziraphale tilts his head. What? My faith. Sure, I'll admit. God and I are hardly what I'd call friendly anymore. And plenty of demons in hell gave it up for a lost cause during the fall. But that plan? That ineffable nonsense? I believe in it. I don't understand it, not even a lick, nor do I necessarily appreciate it. But I know it's real. I know he has something up his sleeve. Wheels within wheels, whatever you like. I know he's up there, and he's up to something. I trust it exists, if nothing else. Isn't that faith? Aziraphale remains silent. And you have to think more broadly, don't you? Faith in God is one thing, but that's not all you lost. Faith is, has, you know, layers, oniony. Faith in God, faith in humanity, faith in the bloody London tube schedule, faith, trust, hope, they go together. If you're lacking one, who knows what... Someone knocks on the loo door. Uh, yes? Crowley calls. I would like to speak with you, Aziraphale, Santa Muerta says through the door. Um, he's busy, Crowley replies. Aziraphale shoots him an incredulous look. Crowley shrugs helplessly. And suddenly the already cramped bathroom gets even more crowded as the skeletal figure appears in the room. She squeezes her thin body between the two entities, eyes only on Aziraphale. There are many boons to be had at my altars, she tells him earnestly. There is power to be had in kneeling at my feet. I'm not so good at kneeling, I'm afraid, Aziraphale informs her curtly. I've bad knees. You need not decide now, she says, as if only just deciding it. I can wait. I am patient. Oh, good. Well then, let's talk about it later, shall we? She hums. I will keep your feathers safe, she tells him. In the meantime, perhaps some advice. For free, of course. This is a fine place. It's good for you. But you're not reading the right books. I'll leave you a list. Santa Muerta's book club. Crowley mutters, unheeded. And she's gone.
The list of books is not long, and the titles leave Aziraphale baffled. Crowley plucks it from his hand, reading the text himself. Kids' books, mostly, the demon comments. Fiction, all of it, the angel adds. They say avid readers are more empathetic than most people. All that practice walking around in other people's shoes. Aziraphale purses his lips, unconvinced. Can't hurt much, can it? Reading? Not in my experience, Aziraphale replies deadpan. Well then, I'll go play fetch, shall I? Have a seat. Crowley has the knack of the Dewey Decimal System that one would expect from a creature of evil, honestly. He plucks the titles with ease into a big stack and sets them down on the couch beside Aziraphale just as the angel finishes the last pages of From the Mixed-Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Good, was it? Aziraphale frowns to himself, mulling Crowley's idle question over with more thought than strictly required. She had something missing, the angel muses. She wasn't quite sure what it was, but she thought she could find it if she ran away to somewhere new. Somewhere full of the best that humanity had made. Not hard to feel empathetic to that, all things considered. But yes, it was good. Crowley smiles at him, pushing a new book into his hands. Never been so grateful that Woodwoman taught you how to speed read. Aziraphale ignores him, already cracking into Bridge to Terabithia, with A Wrinkle in Time and Charlotte's Web in his lap. Crowley watches him a while and then, bored, goes off to see if Jeanette will show him how to play Oregon Trail on the computers. Crowley hisses lowly as yet another of his travelling homesteaders, named Dorothy, the rest are Rose, Blanche and Sophia, dies of dysentery. He uses the lull in the game to peek over the large, boxy screen at the angel. Immediately he abandons the game and ducks across the library quickly capturing the angel's hands in his. Hey, he greets, sounding only half as frazzled as he feels. All right. The angel's tears are familiar, reminding Crowley sharply of a summer's day in their backyard at Tetfield. He supposes it's a good sign, in the long run, but the sight still makes him sad. Aziraphale takes in several loud, wet, gulping breaths. He doesn't seem especially in distress, but he's certainly moved by something. He swallows thickly and gestures to the messy pile of books around him with a hand. I barely even got through the first half of the list, he says with a sodden laugh. Crowley, refusing to feel remotely indebted to dead woman, just hums in distant reply. All full up on empathy then, are we? Aziraphale laughs again. Oh, it's a lot, he agrees faintly. It's just like innocence. You just have to get used to having it again. It'll get easier. Aziraphale nods agreeable, rubbing at his eyes. Crowley miracles him a handkerchief, white with a tiny snake embroidered in the corner, and the angel smiles at him, dabbing at his face and the corners of his eyes. He gazes at Crowley, face thoughtfully sniffling. Oh, my dear, what a weight there is on your shoulders. He touches Crowley's shoulder with a hand as if to emphasize his point. Crowley releases a breath, immediately sagging forward against the touch and then falling forward all the way until his head rests on Aziraphale's arm. This hurts more than I expected, he mutters rather resentfully.
Aziraphale hums lightly and strokes his hair. I'm afraid it's not likely to get easier. He pauses, then asks tentatively, Why didn't you just tell me how you felt? I would have understood, or at least I would have tried to. You could have said this was all too much for you, dear. And then what? I can't keep up, so we drop it. I can't take the pressure, so we leave you half of what you are. Never. I could take it. I could. I did. Didn't I? Of course, Aziraphale replies soothingly. You did very well. You still are. I'm sure you still will. Not quite so much on my own now, at least, Crowley says. Hussar for that. Aziraphale tucks at the nape of Crowley's shirt collar, rather fretfully, until the demon sits up and meets his eyes again. Aziraphale's gaze is searching. Whatever he's looking for, he must find it, because he smiles. There. I wasn't sure, really, if you meant it. Meant what? It's so hard to tell with you when you're really glad to do something, and when you're only doing it for my sake. It was absolutely impossible when relying on logical clues alone. But I thought I was right about you and them. Crawley rolls his eyes. Angel, please, my dignity, leave it intact. I'll never tell, Aziraphale promises. Though I regret to inform you, Crowley, I rather think they already know how much you like them, really. Crowley groans. My reputation to bits right before my eyes. Demons like children, Aziraphale says, purposefully setting Crowley up. To eat, yeah? Aziraphale smiles, not disappointed at all. Aziraphale kisses Janet's hand when they say goodbye, leaving the woman absolutely flustered. Crowley shoots him a look. Aziraphale waves him off. Trust me, she needed that. Though, really, I should have made you do it instead. She thinks you're a dish. That's because I am a dish, Crowley says. You're the only person in all of creation who doesn't know it. My dear boy, Aziraphale replies, absolutely affronted. I most certainly do. Crowley grins and may even blush, just a tad. Where to next? The question causes the demon to step up short, his expression going grim. Well, I know what I want to go finding, this time, without a doubt. And I think I even know how to get it. Aziraphale tilts his head at him. Crowley? He starts warningly. You said you'd think about it. No one ever said you couldn't be looking for it while the deal sits on the table. I really don't think... So let me do the thinking. That's how this goes, isn't it? You trust me. At least a little. Enough to go where I tell you to go. I can't imagine she'll take it well should we recover my faith without speaking to her first. That's a bridge I am more than willing to cross when we get to it, Angel, and not before. Aziraphale considers this. It is, in the end, my decision to make, isn't it? Crowley closes his eyes, briefly, pained. G for... Uh, don't ask me to determine that. 
don't ask because there's really only one good answer and I can't... I can't give it to you. It's my decision to make, Azibafeld says, but his voice is absolutely uncertain. You can't make any choices right now, Crowley grounds out. You don't even trust yourself enough to know that it's your decision what you put your faith in. You have to ask me to tell you. And I can't tell you. I can't. I'm too selfish. Aziraphale worries the tiny hole in his sleeve, but he keeps his eyes on Crowley, reading him. There's that weight on your shoulders again, he comments apologetically. Just don't... Let's make a deal of our own, all right? Aziraphale waits. We get it all back. Everything that you're still missing. Everything all settled and in place as it should be. And then, then, Aziraphale, you can do whatever the hell you please. All right? Aziraphale considers him. What if I choose to give Santa Muerta my faith? Crowley flinches, but he doesn't break eye contact. Then I'll support you. After you're of sound mind. And only after that. Aziraphale puts out his hand. Deal, then. Crowley shakes it, tense as a wire. Deal.